This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing why do investors break up with their financial advisors? Mike, this was an article written in Morningstar, which is a mutual fund uh, rating publication. And they've done a lot of research as to the, you know, all the different reasons why people leave their advisors. And most people, I would believe that probably the number one reason would be rate of return. It seems very obvious, doesn't it? I'm not happy with my returns. And it's funny, usually if you ask anyone, that's generally what they'll give as a response as the person they don't want to tell their real reasons behind. But uh, what Morningstar did is they actually went and surveyed people. And this is an anonymous survey where they don't have to offend anyone. They can give their real reasons behind why they made a change in their life. So what was the number one reason people decided to leave their advisor, Mike? Number one was the quality of financial advice and services that provided to them. So it wasn't a performance issue. It was more of a quality issue. That number was about 32%. And that basically says that, you know, a third of the people left their advisor because the quality of the advice wasn't good. Either they weren't doing a good job managing the portfolio, they didn't have a financial plan in place. They weren't reviewing the plan. They weren't looking at the client's tax situation. But it was the quality, and they felt they could get better quality somewhere else. And it's funny. From a financial advisor point of view, you'd rather hear that your returns weren't good because you don't really have control of your returns. But to be honest, you do control the quality of your advice and service that you provide to clients, don't you? You definitely do. So what was the next reason after quality of advice. This one comes this one hurts even more the quality of the relationship with their advisor. So that was about 21%. About 1 in 5 left their advisor because of the quality of the relationship. Either the advisor wasn't pushy enough, the advisor was too pushy. You personally didn't like the advisor, maybe um, it, it just wasn't a fit. And it's not always a fit with everyone. We've learned that over the years. Uh, an advi- a client who might work great with me may not work great with you and vice versa. But the quality of the relationship, and I always believe that you can work on a relationship. You might not make it perfect, but you can certainly work to make it better. You need to make sure both partners are involved. If you're just talking to the husband or the wife, that's not a good meeting for the other partner. And typically in relationships, both of them are going to make that decision if they've decided to leave. I think in the last 10 to 15 years, the biggest change in what we provide for our clients, I think we've done a lot to learn to listen more. And uh, we've all talked about we should be listening more in meetings and speaking. And again, the quality of the relationship is really affected by the amount you can actually go and listen to your clients. It's not a matter of just telling everyone what you know. Uh, Anyone can do that. Number three on the list, cost of services. So in Canada today, you could pay anywhere between 
say, 1% to 3% in total fees to have your money managed, even on a portfolio of similar sizes. And so let's say the, you know, I think the average balanced mutual fund in Canada is two and a quarter percent, 2.3 percent. And I look at that data every year and it doesn't deviate much. But sometimes you can be in a portfolio where it's three percent. Other times it's one, one and a half percent. And and often, and this is the, what do we find, what other advisors will tell you? They'll often tell you that if you come over to me, I'll only charge you 1%. And what do we typically discover, Mike? Oh, there's costs on top of that. There's, they haven't included the MERs on the funds or any of the, the costs that are going on and above that. That's their fee. And they're trying to compare that to the overall fee of the average mutual fund, which includes uh, advisor compensation as well. So we've got quality of advice. We've got quality of relationship. We've got costs of services. And now we're finally getting they're unhappy with returns. Mike, why does that happen? Why are people unhappy with returns? I find most of the time when people are unhappy, they're not doing a proper comparison. They tend to compare their return to the best return they've seen there on one asset class in a different area. They'll go and compare, you know, in the past, they'll compare the NASDAQ with their performance when it was uh, blowing out the lights. Uh, more recently, they might compare the TSX to their, their performance. Basically, everyone takes the highest performer in asset group and looks at and assumes they should have that same performance of the on their portfolio. I also think it happens when you're talking to friends, family members. You may have a brother-in-law who says, oh, I get constantly 10%. And A, we know that's Never true, <laughs> unless you're with Bernie Madoff. Yep. Number two, you're often comparing different time periods. They may be telling you that based on data at the end of 2021, not data based on the end of 2022. So you're never comparing to apples to apples. And as you said, often they're, they, oh, the U.S. stock market's up 15%. Why am I only up 5%? You only have a third of your money in the U.S. stock market. And sometimes they have one account that's just U.S. stocks. And they'll look at that and give you the comparison that. They don't talk about the other, you know, 75% of the stuff that's been sitting in treasury bills earning nothing for the last three years. Let's go to reason number five. They felt comfortable doing it by themselves. I've had that reason by clients that have left. I would say of those clients who have left for that reason, only maybe a third of them were capable of doing it by themselves. They may be okay on the portfolio. More often than not, they would take unnecessary risks with their family money that they shouldn't be taking. Number two, they didn't have a good handle on the plan, the tax situation, and the whole thing. And so I, I think it's a, a legit, I wanna do this myself, but you're putting your family's wealth at stake when you take that on. I think when you start to do things yourself, you have three real things to be concerned with. Number one, emotions, right? You, your, your own emotions are going to get involved in making correct investment decisions. Let's say you can get through that and you're good on the emotional side. The next is keeping up to date on the information, the changes in tax law, everything that goes on. Every year a new budget comes out. They have new, you know, this year we have the home savings uh, accounts and things like that. So every year there's new investments, new things you have to do to structure your portfolio to take advantage of that. 
And the third thing is access to the right products, right? You know, we use a product that isn't available to the public and they can't get that type of access through just public access. So they need to use someone to get to, to that type of uh, help. So those are three things I find that really limit doing it yourself. We're now gonna to come to the last one, which is they feel they're missing quality communication. And so maybe that's ongoing communication, whether they're not getting a newsletter, they're not getting emails, they're not staying up, you know, they're not meeting with their advisor regularly. So when we put all these together, there's lots of reasons why someone may look to change advisors, hoping that the grass is gonna be greener on the other side. So what are some of the things advisors could do to to write that ship before you, you, you move in a different direction? People need to know they're appreciated by their advisor. They, they need to have their advisor let them speak. They need to feel comfortable in that relationship. They need to have goal setting exercises with their, with their clients. An advisor should go find out what those clients' goals are. Make the clients aware that you're looking at that. Connect your work with your, their goals. Make sure what you're doing is in line with their goals. It's not a one-stop solution. You, you know, we've been stuck. We try to be very systematic, but the problem with being systematic, it's very tough because every client's very different. It's hard to put one system in place that's going to work on everyone. We try the best of our, our ability to make sure we can provide good service to everyone, but it can't just be a computer can't solve it. This is where we did our last uh, podcast on AI. AI runs in limitations here because everyone's situation is very different. Let me give you an example on that. Often we believe the primary objective that we're trying to accomplish is retirement and having enough money to be able to increase your income in retirement so you can keep up with inflation so that you never run out of money and you never have to rely on your kids to help you out financially. Sometimes we have clients whose one of their primary objective is actually to help their kids. And as the advisor, you have to accept that, even if it means that they're going to take half a million dollars out of the portfolio to help their child or children buy their first home. If that's their primary goal, you got to walk through the risks of doing that. But if that's their goal, your job as the advisor is to help them do it in the most tax-efficient manner possible. What else? What are some of the other things advisors can do? You can really walk your clients through the financial planning process to, to show them what's required to to make their plan work. Not just go and do a plan every 10 years and put it out in front of the clients and say, here, we've done your financial plan. We've covered our compliance obligations. It's an ongoing entity. When you have a financial plan, it's gotta be updated and looked at on a regular basis. It's interesting. You know, we've, we've looked at, I used to believe you needed to update the plan every 12 months. In retirement, it's kind of helpful to do that every 12 to 18 months anyways, because cash flow is important. If you're saving for retirement, at the very least, you need to do it every two years to really see. If you're waiting anything longer than two years, 24 months, that's a stale plan. You're not working on a financial plan. You're just working on the portfolio. The plan's not worth the paper it's written on after two years. What's remedy number two? How to provide worthy services. What should the advisor be doing in that area? Communication. How the needs are being addressed. Make sure you're always finding what their needs are and find out the way to address their needs. As you said, everyone's a bit different. Some people's main concern are their kids, uh, not, not toward retirement. They would rather live in a cardboard box and make sure the kids are okay 
than go and live in some mansion and have anything happen to the kids. And that's their right, right? Everyone has their own personal objectives. A lot of it has to do with, with their upbringing, where did their parents help them out or, or you know, what, what was that like? And they want to pass that on to their kids. And there's no right or wrong answer here. Every, we are, we're all unique. We're all unique. We have all different goals and objectives and so on. And we always, we always have to be searching to be able to add new value and look for a new opportunity out there. There's always new new changes that are coming up, new investments. There's changes in tax laws, ways to restructure portfolios. There's always things that you have to do and look forward to how to help your clients. And you got to communicate that to them. So communication, I think that's another area that comes up. You know, we've had this podcast for a few years. We've had a newsletter for probably over 20 years. Um, we've got videos. We're now starting these short clips that are going out on Instagram and social media. And the reason we do all that, we're not expecting each client to watch it all or to listen to it all or to read it all. We all know you have your own unique method of communication on how you want to be communicated with. And so we're giving you options. So maybe only at most 15% of our clients are listening to our podcast. 15% are watching the YouTube video and maybe 20% are reading the newsletter. And, and that's fine. We need to keep looking for, as the advisor, for alternatives to, to communicate with you. Next, what about returns? I mean, it was way down the list as, of being important, but what can the advisor do to make sure the client's getting a reasonable return on their portfolio? You cannot control returns, but you can control expectations. So you have to be realistic in your planning and what you set forward uh, on what you're going to try to achieve. Emphasize the value in having a long view when investing. Don't get stuck on those short-term numbers. you got to be very careful. People always like to put out the great numbers that happened in the last year, whenever there's any time period. I mean, right now, our three-year numbers are through the roof. But it's not because we did anything special. It's because three years goes when COVID hit, right? So you got to really go and focus on long-term. Explain the expected rates returns based on clients' risk tolerance. You know, not all our clients are going to get the same rate of return. And everyone thinks it should be fair. Everyone gets the same rate of return. But some people aren't willing to take that amount of risk. And that's okay. It's interesting. I was looking at a couple of accounts today, both dimensional. One client is 90% equities. And their 10-year return in dimensional with us is 7%. Another client, 10-year return. They're in a 60-40 portfolio, a lot more conservative and their 10-year return is 4.5%. They're in the same investments, but it's the risk tolerance of the clients that's different. So they're going to get a different rate of return. Yeah, people tend to blame the investments when really some of it's on time and when the money arrives, and some of it's based on the type of portfolio you're in. Losing clients is, is for the advisor, and I'm speaking for myself, and I know you feel the same way, it, it's never a good feeling. And it, you feel like you've somehow failed. You've let that person down. You brought them on board as a client, and you're hoping that they're a client for life. And we always look back and review exactly what happened. Um, sometimes it's, it's both parties in a relationship. I guess it's like a marriage that way. You know, sometimes it's, it's not, not what he did or what she did. It's, it's both parties didn't deliver what they were both supposed to do. I know our most successful relationships with clients are those clients who, who let us do our job, who give us all the different information that we need to do our job, 
and typically those relationships last the longest. Well, it's nice to see this because over time we've had one of the lower transfer out rates in the in the investment industry. I always find when I look at the numbers, we've been extremely low. And when you look at the most important things, the quality of financial advice and services, that's been all our focus and the quality of relationships with the, the advisors. That's been one of our main focus too. And we've worked over the last uh, uh, 10 to 15 years to continue to try to bring fees down to uh, the best level we can. And I think those those three factors together have made it so clients have uh, stuck around, which is great. It's interesting you say that transfer out rate. I think the industry average is about 5%. Um, I remember we had years where we were 2 to 3%. I think in the last 10 years, we've averaged close to 1% to 1.5% in any given year. Um, we're always striving for it to be zero. Uh, it'll probably never be zero, but uh, trying to get it under 1%, I think that's certainly a good goal. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. If you're looking for a financial advisor, visit our website at tmfg.ca or call us at 905-771-5200. This episode has been brought to you by the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.